Welcome to Idlewild Cottage, a quiet place where kindred spirits can linger together over a cup of tea, savoring all things lovely and cozy. My name is Juliana, and I'm delighted to have you. Each episode here at the cottage will center around a theme. That theme will be celebrated in a number of ways, through literature, art, nature, and even some favorite movie scenes, we'll cherish the sweet and simple things of life. So make yourself at home, and I'll put the kettle on. A bird may love a fish, but where would they build a home together? If you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, you may recognize this line. Tevya is wrestling with tradition, a tradition dictating that a daughter should marry the man chosen for her by her parents, or in this case, by the village matchmaker. Well, in today's episode, we'll wrap up a month of love and our winter season as well with several bird and fish relationships, if you will. Many of our favorite movies and stories end happily ever after with expected matches. We expect Anne to marry Gilbert and we expect Laura to marry Amanzo. But what about the love that blossoms unexpectedly? One of the more well-known moments of romantic surprise and angst is found in Little Women. Now, readers are divided here, and understandably so. Many feel that Joe should have ended up with Laurie. Others appreciate the tender sweetness of her relationship with Fritz and delight in her unexpected happily ever after. Well, friends, we have Louisa May Alcott's own stubborn nature to thank for the match, whether we like it or not. Through Alcott's journals and letters, we discover how she really wanted to wrap up Little Women. Joe should have remained a literary spinster, but so many enthusiastic young ladies wrote to me clamorously demanding that she should marry Lori or somebody that I didn't dare refuse, and out of perversity went and made a funny match for her. Joe describes this funny match in a letter home to Marmy and Beth. Professor Bear was there, and while he arranged his books, I took a good look at him. A regular German, rather stout, with brown hair tumbled all over his head, a bushy beard, droll nose, the kindest eyes I ever saw, and a splendid big voice. His clothes were rusty, his hands were large, and he hadn't a handsome feature in his face, except his beautiful teeth. Yet I liked him, for he had a fine head, his linen was spandy nice, and he looked like a gentleman, though two buttons were off his coat and there was a patch on one shoe. If Professor Bear is a gentleman in spite of his appearance, Henry Higgins proves to be rather the opposite. He may have a fine home and superior library, but do they make him a gentleman? It takes an upending of his life in the form of a common flower girl to make Higgins consider how a gentleman really should behave though I will confess it's arguable that his character has undergone as much of a transformation as it might by the end of the 1964 movie, My Fair Lady. Still, we love to watch the transformation of Eliza Doolittle as her language and personal carriage evolve from a, quote, draggle-tailed gutter snipe to one who could pass as a duchess at the embassy ball. Given her age and background, 
It might have been most natural for Eliza to seek the stability of a match with someone predictable and well-off like Freddie Einsford Hill. But it's the unexpected connection she feels with Henry Higgins that ultimately determines her future. A rather humorous pairing is brought to us in Season 6 of Little House on the Prairie. The privileged Nellie Olson seems like a lost cause, both in her ability to run the restaurant her parents have given her and in her ability to, well, to just be plain nice. This all changes when her parents, in a last-ditch attempt to keep the restaurant afloat, hire Percival Dalton. Nellie is not impressed by Percival. In fact, she is as mean as only Nellie can be, and we find her throwing a typical tantrum during a cooking lesson. Percival is not cowed by her behavior. He responds by dumping the eggs on Nellie's head and fires back a line that changes everything. Why your mother ever built this place for you, I'll never know. You certainly can't cook, and you certainly have no right to be dealing with the public. And as pretty as you are, you don't need a restaurant to catch a husband in the first place. All Nellie hears is the parting compliment, and she glows. He called me pretty. While Nellie has a hard time catching a husband, Philippa Gordon has a hard time narrowing down her many choices in a husband. We can't help but love Anne Shirley's college chum in Anne of the Island, who is rather frank about her likability. The boys like me awfully. They really do. I must marry a rich man, you know. Why must you? laughs Anne. Honey, you couldn't imagine me being a poor man's wife, could you? I can't do a single useful thing, and I'm very extravagant. Oh no, my husband must have heaps of money, and I simply couldn't marry a man who wasn't handsome. Well, the joke is on Phil, and she laughs over it herself, when she ultimately falls for a poor, homely minister. She later writes to Anne. Anne Shirley, don't you dare to say or hint or think I've fallen in love with Mr. Blake. Could I care for a lank, poor, ugly theologue? It's, it's impossible. But I'm horribly afraid it's true. I'm happy and wretched and scared. Do you think I could ever develop into a passable minister's wife, Anne? And would they expect me to lead in prayer? Now, the love shared between a reserved colonel and a vivacious young girl may not come as an unlikely one to the reader of Sense and Sensibility, but it certainly does to the young girl. Marianne Dashwood is first swept away by the romantic ideal represented in the dashing Willoughby. Colonel Brandon looks on with quiet pain and longing. Through heartache and loss, Marianne eventually grows to appreciate the goodness of the dear Colonel. It is through Mrs. Dashwood's conversation with Eleanor that we see how unlikely, though ultimately how perfect, this match is. His age is only so much beyond hers as to be an advantage as, as to make his character and principles fixed, and his disposition, I am well convinced, is exactly the very one to make your sister happy. He certainly is not so handsome as Willoughby, but at the same time there is something much more pleasing in his countenance. And from Marianne's perspective, we learn, Instead of falling a sacrifice to an irresistible passion as once she had fondly flattered herself with expecting, she found herself at nineteen 
placed in a new home, a wife, the mistress of a family, and the patroness of a village. Marianne could never love by halves, and her whole heart became, in time, as much devoted to her husband as it had once been to Willoughby. Let's segue from Colonel to Captain and linger for a moment over another unlikely romance, that which develops between Fräulein Maria and Captain von Trapp in The Sound of Music. The nuns well describe Maria in the song How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria? So we'll use their words as our poetry moment today. How do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you catch a cloud and pin it down? How do you find a word that means Maria? A flibberty gibbet? A will-o'-the-wisp? A clown? Many a thing you know you'd like to tell her. Many a thing she ought to understand. But how do you make her stay and listen to all you say? How do you keep a wave upon the sand? Oh, how do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you hold a moonbeam in your hand? Well, you hold a moonbeam in your hand by letting her shine next to an extreme opposite, one who will serve as a perfect foil, one such as a military captain. Captain Von Trapp is ordered, predictable, reasonable, and he needs Maria just as much as she needs him. When a moonbeam casts its rays on a man of principle carrying the weight of grief, he can't help but warm up to a newfound love. It's fitting that the pair should share their first kiss in the moonlit gazebo, and a problem like Maria and an impossible captain become, as they sing, something good. Since we've covered a colonel and a captain, why not move on to a major? In this case, a drum major. Professor Harold Hill slyly infiltrates River City, Iowa, intent on swindling the townsfolk in The Music Man. His plan? To organize a boy's band and run off with the earnings before delivering. Robert Preston plays Harold Hill, the swindler who is on the alert for the maiden librarian bent on disclosing his deception. Maiden librarians are his specialty, he boasts. But what he doesn't count on is falling in love with her, any more so than the shrewd librarian, the lovely Shirley Jones, expects to fall under the spell of a con artist. Filled with musical favorites like 76 Trombones, Trouble in River City, and Pick a Little Talk a Little, this unlikely match in a very likable movie results in newfound life for all of River City. It seems like movies make up a majority of this week's unlikely matches, and in fact, I have two more to share with you. As I was preparing this episode, I asked my family for their suggestions. My husband offered the unlikely pairing in my favorite Katherine Hepburn film, The Philadelphia Story. The wealthy Tracy Lord is soon to marry George Kittredge. What she doesn't expect is to be caught off guard on the very weekend of her wedding by photographer Macaulay Connor. Jimmy Stewart, or, even more so, by her ex-husband, C.K. Dexter Haven, the dashing Cary Grant. I won't reveal the end, so you can discover for yourself a few places where unexpected love blossoms in this 1940 film. My son and daughter had several suggestions as well, including While You Were Sleeping, Beauty and the Beast, Harry Potter, and Star Wars, 
each containing unlikely love stories. But my daughter's last suggestion is one I'll end with today, and that's Sabrina. Sabrina Fairchild, the chauffeur's daughter, is hopelessly in love with David Larrabee. Our family enjoys both versions of this movie. The 1954 film stars Audrey Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart. And the 1995 version brings us the lovely Julia Ormond and Harrison Ford. What could go wrong when two people fall in love? Well, plenty when an unlikely match threatens a business merger. Plenty when an older brother steps in to thwart the romance. And plenty when hearts get unexpectedly involved, as they invariably will. Well, friends, I do hope your own hearts have been encouraged as we've traversed these winter episodes. Whether the theme revolved around frolicking in the snow or cheering for the unlikely romance in our favorite stories. As always, I am grateful for your encouraging feedback in the form of likes, shares, and positive reviews. I'll be stepping away for a few weeks and will return later with spring content. In the meantime, do catch up on past episodes and visit the Idlewild Cottage community over on Instagram where I'll continue to share all things lovely and cozy. And finally, an unexpected love that is the most life-giving of all is found in God's love toward us. Psalm 100 reminds us, For the Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever. Would we delight in the unexpected, both today and in the weeks to come? Thank you for joining me today, dear ones. Please come again soon to Idlewild Cottage.